So good, isn't it, to be able to assemble for the purpose that we are this morning, to worship the great God of heaven. He's been so good to each of us. And today, on this first day of this, uh, this week, the second Sunday of the year 2017, we're delighted to be able to come and worship in the way that we are. I hope you still have your Bible open to the book of Proverbs. We'll be looking at a passage or two in that book this morning. But as we do so, the title of the lesson is this, Talk and Euphemisms. Isn't it amazing to consider how many words you and I use in a given day? How, isn't it amazing how often you and I appreciate the communication? Maybe you listen to the television or the radio and think of the number of words used in any given hour to convey something interesting, something entertaining, or perhaps some other message. And yet, as you and I choose the words that we use, oh, how seriously the God of heaven looks upon the choice that we make. Our choice, according to the Word of God, is to be made very, very carefully. This opening slide, an introductory one admittedly, but nonetheless one that sets before us two passages of Scripture there near the bottom of it. As God, in fact, in His Word, the Word you and I just sang about, how that it sets before us that which He demands and the truth that is the will of heaven. Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. In particular, the very strong observation and note. Isn't it true that by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned? Now the Lord pre prefaced that with this statement, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Isn't it true then that even an idle word is something that the God of heaven makes note of, and we would need forgiveness even for that? And yet, we notice in that next verse that by the words we speak will be justified, or by the words we speak will be condemned. The words you and I choose to use in a given day, in a given circumstance or situation, have a great deal of bearing upon the ultimate direction of the faithfulness of the life that you and I live. Let's spend some time this morning then, for the next little while, giving some thought to the appreciations that often slip into your language and mine. I frankly confess that the world around us often gives very little, if any, thought to the language spoken. Say what you want to, the way you want to, when you want to. For many, it makes no difference. And yet, under circumstances and as languages evolve and change over time, it may be that you and I develop a habit, a custom, a routine, if you please, in which we might be tempted to think of using a word that might be inappropriate. And so today, as we reflect upon this, I would call to your attention an Old Testament scene. I've asked you to notice Leviticus 24, verses 10 and following. I'll only highlight that by way of a quick observation. But the scene was this. The children of Israel had left Egypt, but they had not yet made it to the Canaan land. And as they journeyed through, the time came that there was a fight, an altercation that developed between two people. One of them was the son of an Israelitish woman. The other was just an Israelite. During the course of the fight, the son of the Israelitish woman blasphemed and cursed God. I wonder what happened. The text says they put the man up into ward and God gave an order, stone that man. What he did, the words that he spoke, brought the judgment of the God of heaven and they killed him because God said to. May you and I never think the words we speak aren't serious. 
May we never think that the importance and the features that describe them are not a matter of great import. It is with that in mind that I would ask you to appreciate as we study some of these this morning. This next slide is just going to continue to set before us the ground considerations, namely that text. Now, a moment ago in our hearing, John read to us from Proverbs chapter 4, verse 24, and the commandment was stated like this, Put from thee forward speech. Now, notice that's a commandment. He didn't say it's a suggestion. That was a commandment. Whatever this forward speech was, it was to have no part to play in the life of those who were devoted and dedicated to God in the Old Testament era. You'll notice Proverbs 10.32, I've gone ahead and written that text just for your continued study. The lips of the righteous know what's acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh forwardness. You can well tell language was a very prominent consideration in what Solomon had to share with us by inspiration. You'll notice on the things that follow, there is speech that's acceptable. Doesn't it thrill you and me, you and I, as we give thought to God looking with favor upon the words that you and I choose to use? He proverbially smiles, My servant has chosen the proper words and stated them the right way. But on the other hand, there is speech that's forward. Now, admittedly, if you're reading in a different translation, there will be a different word because forward is not a word we use in English much anymore. It was a prominent word centuries ago when the time the King James translation was written. But you may go ahead and notice, forward simply means speech that's perverse. It has to do with wickedness. It has to do with what is ungodly. Now, that alone identifies pretty powerfully, doesn't it, the feature and aspect of this forward speech. Here in the course of our lesson today, then, we're going to avoid, or we're going to remind ourselves of the importance of avoiding this speech that's forward. And as you noticed in the title, that's even going to include things that are described as euphemisms. It might be well for us to take a moment and just ask, so what, what is a euphemism? A euphemism is a particular expression in speech in which something that is more basic than it and upon which it is based is softened or used in a way that still retains the power of the initial meaning, but it's stated more softly. A euphemism. And you'll see in a moment as we look at some examples of it. You may give appreciation as we close that slide then to this. I thought we might just list a few specific examples and maybe embed those considerations in our heart and our mind today so that we will be more in a position to avoid them. We don't ever speak like this. I hope as you give some thought to these, why don't we start then by noting what are then some things that this forward speech includes. What are some things that are a part of it? Well, first of all, we would almost immediately assume by virtue of the command of God that this forward speech certainly would include the name of God. I thought we might in fact use that as the initial one because it will be a basis for a number of those that are to follow. Consider this with me. God never approved 
the usage of his name disrespectfully or flippantly or in a way that was trivial. And not only in that way his own name, but those things that were of divine character or sacred matters. In fact, let's look at a few verses to highlight those appreciations. In Exodus 20 verse 7, you and I have often no doubt reflected upon the fact there were ten commandments provided and given. And they, of course, include things like you don't commit murder and you don't commit adultery and you don't steal. And those are easy to understand because they seem so basically opposed to the nature and the value of life. But right in the midst of all those commandments is commandment number three. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. I suppose it would be tempting to say, but let's face it, that doesn't seem nearly as serious as the other ones. And yet it's one of the Ten Commandments. Israel took very seriously, never ever taking God's name in a way that was vanity or in vain or disrespectfully or irreverently. In fact, so much so that they even chose on occasion to purposefully mispronounce it for fear they might use it in a way that broke the third commandment. You'll notice in Leviticus 19 verse number 12, another direct and explicit commandment, Thou shalt not profane the name of God. Whatever Israel was or was not to do, they were never ever to profane. And you and I know that word profane carries behind it the thought of treating with a disrespectful character to look upon in a fashion and a way that was not in harmony with its basic nature. To profane it. Finally, in Colossians 3.8, as you and I come to the New Testament, may I call to your attention and mine the fact that among a list of sins that the inspired Apostle Paul made, he said, put blasphemy away from you. Don't ever do it. You and I, you see, can be guilty of blasphemy today. We can speak in a way that would be wholly improper for a person who is a professing Christian. Now, I say all of that to call to your attention and mind then, that in as much as we've seen forward speech and its inclusion in terms of using very care for the name of God, what about some specific matters, some specific considerations? Here are a few, and this list is by no means exhaustive. I'm sure as you think about things you hear on the TV or perhaps matters you hear about in other contexts and ways, you might think of additional ones. These came to my mind, and I'd like to ask you to consider them with me. How often when someone is surprised, when they're caught off guard, maybe when someone is such that they find themselves in a great point of being shocked, it has almost come to the point in our society when almost by habit, one of the things that is almost immediately said is, Oh my God! These words are mouthed and it seems rather evident in many instances that the actual being and greatness and nature of God is not what's on their mind. They're using this as a habit, as a routine, as a phrase. That's directly then using a word representative of a divine being and using it in a way that is not consistent with the way it's presented in the Bible. It's being used in an irreverent fashion. 
may I suggest again, one must be cautious. And although many around us may so habitually use that phrase, may we never do it in that way at least. Now may we say it would be fine in prayer, in an humble petition to pray, Oh my God, that's different. That is making an observation that God is the one over us and we're acknowledging Him in that sense and that's not wrong. But to use God's name irreverently, flippantly, trivially, that's wholly inconsistent with the teaching of the Bible, both Old and New Testament. That opening example maybe leads us to another one. Think about the word God for a moment. Take the D off and replace it with L-L-Y. Well, many decades ago, that began to be done to soften the name of God. As you know, the English letter D, the fourth letter of our alphabet, is one of the harshest sounding letters in the whole alphabet. So take that out and replace it with a double L Y. It appears to soften it, but notice that if that word is predicated upon this name of God, and if we're still using it in a way that carries that significance, we're still committing the same error whether I use the name of God or golly, if I'm doing that in a way that has the intent of carrying that significance but not respectful of God, I'm committing the same error. We must be cautious. Not only that, look at the next one. Same thing. When gosh is used as an exclamation of surprise or pleasure, and you'll notice the dictionary defines it as a euphemism for God. When I use that word then, that has reference to God, even though it's been softened a little. Again, take the D out, replace it with SH. You'll notice that we have fallen into a trap in our society at least a few decades ago. It seems often did this. But you and I, as those desirous of pleasing the God of heaven, will not fall into that entrapment. So far, all of these have had a reference to, of course, the name of God. Let's look at the next one. You'll notice at the bottom... There are other ways in which it would seem that on occasion reference to divine things or even matters of exclamation can be presented in a very questionable way. Now this is another case where we must certainly be mindful. It would be entirely appropriate to refer to the heavens and say God has made some good heavens or God has made some majestically good stars and there are phrases, good stars, good heavens, they're being used in a fine way. But what about if they're used as an exclamation? Someone again shocks or surprises you, and maybe in an element of response you make reference to my stars or good heavens without any reference again to the nature of the basic character of who made them, what they stand for. One must be awfully cautious that exclamation is bordering again on what would be inappropriate. As you think about these things with me, our language is very important. Remember, the writer in Proverbs told us, put away from the forward speech. As you and I give thought to statements or wordings like these, perhaps our list should go onward. What else might we need to consider? Here's some more on the next slide. Why don't we start with the name of our blessed Lord? I'm sure you, like myself, have noticed that in many cases, often in a nature of profanity, in a nature, again, of expressing some matter of cursing, it'll be the name of Jesus. You've heard it as well as I, and it 
tears your heart away to hear someone use the name of Jesus, the very one that died on the cross, and the very one who makes it possible to go to heaven and yet to use His name that way. That name of Jesus is a, certainly a great name, and yet some choose to use it in profanity. And so... Jesus or Jesus Christ, this interjection, this reflection of exclamation used in a way that has no regard for who He is or what He's done. That just isn't right. That usage of the word Jesus would not be appropriate. The next one on the slide is this one. If you think about the word Jesus and think about ways to alter and change it, Again, soften it. You notice again, J is one of the harshest sounding letters in the English language, so soften it a little bit. Put a double E on it and change it to a G. And so you may have heard statements like you'll notice secondly. Often you may hear those used as an expletive. That is to say, they're used as a strong and very violent expression on some account. May we ask, where do those words come from? Again, we must be cautious as those desirous of serving the Master. We would never want even accidentally to use His name in a way that would be improper, inconsistent with His will. Don't we read in 1 Timothy 6.15, speaking of the name of Jesus, He's King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the blessed and only potentate. Oh, how we ought never then to use His name in a way that's beneath the dignity that corresponds to it. One by one, as we've looked at all of these, consider the next one, the word damn. It is used rather often. Many times it's used in ways that seemingly have little, if any, understanding of what rests behind that word. I'd like us to take a moment and really give some careful thought to it. When a person makes a pronunciation, using it the way you'll see written on that slide, what ultimately are they attempting to do? The word damn means condemn. And so, when a person pronounces damnation on another, they are pronouncing condemnation. And may I say to you, friend, no human being has right to do this. Only God can condemn to hell. And quite frankly, we should be thankful for that. Because His judgment is perfect. His approach is absolutely right. No human being has the right then to pronounce damnation in that way which it's used upon the person or soul of another. And yet so often it appears to be done. I can well recall in high school where there were boys and obviously they exuded an air of toughness and that was one of their favorite words, as tragic and as sad as it was. And yet you might notice there are another, a few others that seemingly go right along with it. Often used in terms of sentence, it's not so much used with regard to a person, but used with regard to an activity or a thing. You'll note the second one on that slide. Notice the, prep, the, the pronoun it. Here the person's just making a curse expression, a slang expression, in which again they're pronouncing a condemnation upon a matter, an activity. But again, no human, apart from the presentation of God, can do this. May I say that again, one must be cautious and very careful. Language means something and God takes note of the words we use. As you and I look at the next one, maybe you have also heard, and again, it's a rather favorite one. Sometimes you'll even appreciate it in 
rather interesting activities, and you'll notice someone makes a direct usage of hell, but not like the Bible does. They'll, in fact, tell someone or pronounce a matter on someone else, go to hell. And as they do this, again, ponder for a moment what is being asserted. Can any human make that judgment and ultimately make that final designation? We know that answer is no, for that's reserved for God and He alone. Isn't it still an amazing thing to reflect on the book of Jude for a moment? Would you read with me one of the verses found in that book? Second to the last book in the New Testament, the little book of Jude. As you're turning to that particular location, might I ask you to notice that in it, this statement is found. Verse number 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. The scene before us there is this. Here was Michael the archangel. The text says he was contending with the devil. So he and the devil were in a discussion, a dispute over the body of Moses. Now that was a, that's a rather amazing thing to consider, quite frankly. But I would just ask us to notice how this ended up. Verse number 9 closes by saying that Michael, even this great archangel, recognized the power and the force of language and he dared not go beyond what was appropriate. In fact, it says he did not bring a railing accusation against the devil. Now here's a situation where you'll notice Michael didn't even bring a railing condemnation against the devil. He said, rather, the Lord rebuked thee. Michael didn't even take to himself the reality of pronouncing judgment on the devil. That wasn't reserved for him. That was reserved for God. If that be true, if even an archangel won't go that far, what about lowly human beings? attempting to pronounce condemnation or sending someone even in language to a place like hell. We must be cautious. Notice as we go further, you'll notice at the bottom, another phrase, sometimes the name of God's incorporated with this. Damn, together with God. Well, here, we are not in the business of telling God who to condemn and who not to. When He in His Word has affirmed that which He shall do, that's a different matter. But you and I certainly would never attempt to put ourselves in position to tell God to damn somebody or a particular matter or thing unless He has told us that's what He's going to do. May I say to you again, far more often than not, though, that the usage of those words in our society has no reference, it would seem, to the being of God. They're used as a habit, as a routine. They're used simply because others are doing it. But that won't justify it. 1 Corinthians 15.33 still says, Evil communications corrupt good manners. May you and I be careful who we hang with in terms of adopting their speech and language that may be very much opposed to what's proper and right. One by one, as we've looked at all these so far, notice again how the names of Jesus or God or sacred things have been modified, altered, and used in a way that still doesn't change the fact. Here's some additional ones. At the top of this list, I simply continued from the bottom of the slide we just finished. Remember again, this damnation. Well, sometimes it's softened like this. 
as you think about God damn it or some other matter. Well, if you think about changing it, perhaps shortening that, you'll get what you have at the top of that slide. And it's again a serious thing, and may you and I be very cautious and never use it. As you come to the second one, you'll notice that word damn again has been changed in some other ways. Again, sometimes to darn, sometimes to others that you can see written there. But that still brings us to notice again, our language should be purer than this. Aren't you and I reminded in Colossians 4, 6 that our speech should be as it were seasoned with salt and always with grace. We ought not see how close we can get to this language that would be of worldly character. Our language ought to be rich and fine and pure because God wants our language to be the manifestation of a heart that's pure. For blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5 verse 8. As we continue to look onward, you'll notice there are some other words that seem wholly inappropriate for the kind of discussion that ought to be characteristic of your language and mine. About the middle of that slide, these words that have reference to defecation or some other thing like it. Furthermore, you'll notice that often they're used in place of exclamations as expletives in matters sometimes in surprise or otherwise. May I ask you to reflect that Jesus said, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now the Lord didn't authorize going beyond those in any way, even in oaths or affirmations like them. Let's look at the next one. There at the bottom. I included that one simply because it occurred to me that in light of what we'd studied earlier, they at least would be worthy of some consideration. It certainly would be true that one could use the phrase, oh me or oh my, in a way that would not at all be wrong. But if you're using it as a way just to say what we did before but leave the word God out, then the sentence or the thought of God has crossed your mind and you're still using His name irreverently. We must be cautious. Any irreverent use of God, even indirectly, is something that's very serious. Isn't it true that as you come to the final one, in more recent eras, or at least in more recent times, it seems that this other kind of word has begun to be apparent. This one seems in many ways rather new. This freaking or frigging, something like that, I'm not even really sure where that thing came from. But as you look it up in my dictionary, there's what it means. It's not a kind word. It's not a nice word at all. And yet it seems as if it has become a natural part of at least some attempted conversation. In a matter of excitement or a matter of perhaps frustration or anger, simply use that word, but that isn't good. In fact, it's wholly inappropriate and rather vulgar. Our language ought to be much higher than that much higher in the sense of its purity and the nature of what it is that it brings to an appreciation. As we turn to the next slide, one by one as we proceed to look at these, may I say that it appeared to me there were some other overarching categories that might be worthy of consideration. Consider this with me. If you and I use a word that has a rather ugly or vulgar overtone or connotation to it. 
that too is a word that would be better much left unsaid by you and me. In other words, our language is demanded by God to be richer than that. Now, as you think about that, many of these examples we've seen have already, of course, called us to consider that. But notice, let me ask you to look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like for us to read that. It's a rather extensive passage. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. A bit of background might be in order as we come to that passage. The book of Ephesians in six chapters highlights for us the reality of the Christ of the church. In other words, all six chapters revolve around and focus on the reality of Jesus Christ, who He is, what He has done, and what He continues to do. And yet in the midst of that, chapter 4 makes a discussion of the new man. What happens when a person becomes a Christian? What kind of changes take place in that individual's life? And oh, how grand and great those changes become. But now as we look at what kind of manifestation is presented in that converted person's life, verse number 29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Maybe a few thoughts would be in order. First, he says, let no corrupt communication, not any, not the slightest amount, not the most minuscule consideration, none of it, he says. But then he explains. He says, which is good to the use of edifying. So if the words that we speak are not sufficient for the purpose of edifying, bringing grace to the hearers, then he says we need to rethink, we need to not be using that, and certainly the words that we have already seen today. These words in so many cases that have profanity or vulgarity or irreverent usage of the name of God or Jesus or even other sacred matters. May we add a few more as you come to the bottom of that slide. There's a sense in which I hesitate even to write some of them, but just for the purpose of being rather clear, I think we all could recognize that these kinds of words do not bring grace to those that hear. They do not, in fact, do anything but present a matter of corruptness of the heart and mind of the one speaking them. And they reflect very, very poorly upon the person that uses them. Would you think that a person that uses words like that, would you label that person as godly? Would you label that person as a pious or a person who was a faithful follower of the Master? I think we all know that answer. And yet, how often do you hear individuals that use words like them, either them or something very close to them? It ought not be. You'll notice as we close that slide and then reflect upon the language that, again, the devil loves to have us use. He wants to harm and, in fact, bring to a very low point the influence that you and I have. You and I have to watch very carefully and use our language much more appropriately than any of them. And so as we come to this next slide, you'll notice that this forward speech would also include mild oaths, affirmations that relate to sacred objects or divine things. Now, although we mentioned it earlier, it seems to me that this one very carefully and very 
powerfully relates to what it was Jesus Himself addressed. And so we'll be looking at another verse here in just a moment. But you'll notice that I've called your attention two of them, one in Matthew 5 and one in James chapter 5. And let's read both of them. First of all, Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus made that statement, in the midst of it so often He had commented about how that certain things they had heard before, but now I say to you, and this is another one of those examples. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say to you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it's His footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, Yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. A sister passage, again in the closing chapter of James, James chapter 5 verse 12, addresses a very similar consideration. Note it with me too if you would. But above all things, my brethren, swear not neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Do you have a sense of what's being described? In that first century era, one of the things that was rather often occurring is an individual would back up his or her words by pronouncing an oath. By the altar in Jerusalem, I will do this. By the great Mount Hermon, I will give my word, I'll do that. By my mother and her being in grave, I'll do this. They had fallen into a habit of thinking they needed to back up everything, in many cases that they had said, with an oath, an affirmation. Jesus said, don't do that. If you tell someone you'll do it, let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. You don't need to equivocate. You don't need to go into these oath-making businesses. And you'll notice he even gave the reason why. You can't make one of your hairs white or black. That city of Jerusalem doesn't belong to you. Why are you swearing by it? The altar in Jerusalem, that's a sacred thing devoted to the service of God. You have nothing to do with it. Isn't it true then that they needed to be told, and James did it very strongly, don't swear at all in that way. Well, you'll notice then that there are many swearing kinds of expressions that seemingly have worked their way into our language. And again, think about what swearing means. And look at the examples at the bottom. It's in that context. Sometimes references to my stars or my heavens, they're used as a swearing example. And if that's true, that's wrong. For the Bible says don't swear at all. Look at the second one. These other affirmations, again, where a person perhaps is being asked a question and they respond in a very violent and aggressive and angry way with examples like I've written, with yes or no, predicated by these other words of condemnation, that's wrong. And we shouldn't be speaking that way. At the bottom, you'll notice yet another example. May I suggest that given the Lord's teaching concerning swearing, if you and I take any adjective any English adjective, and use it in a swearing or forswearing style, we're doing what's wrong. Therefore, we need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. 
And we need to be content with those responses and answers as well as demanding the same of those to whom we speak. One by one, as you've thought about all these examples this morning, probably many of the words that have been written have been very ugly words and you and I wouldn't think to use them, but may I suggest some of them have been softer and they perhaps are tempting on occasion. The loud and clear message at the bottom is we must be very careful about the words that we use. One final thought as you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 is this one. Again, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus made this statement, and perhaps as we've discussed it in sermons past, it'll just be useful for us to note in passing. But I say to you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a call shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Rekha shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. There's another example where words someone used. You call somebody Rekha, there was a penalty. You refer to somebody as a fool in an appropriate way, and he said there's eternity to pay. We've got to be cautious and very careful as we reflect on the language that we speak. And so let's conclude our lesson with one final slide. Our goal today has been to reflect on our talk, our speech, what it is that sometimes is a common way of talking in our world. And we've reminded ourselves that as Christians we're peculiar people. We have that explicit reading in Titus 2.14, but that peculiar people brings us to notice that must include the way we talk, the words we use and how we use them. And so it is. Proverbs 4.24 and Proverbs 10.32 say to put forward speech from you and put perverse speech away from your lips. And as each of us strive to do that, we will then be able to set a powerful example of godliness to those that are around us. It might be today as you and I think about our speech and our language. If change is in order, may we each have a tender enough heart to do it today. If things are known privately in your life, make the determination to change them. If things are known in a public way, we're going to sing in a moment a hymn of encouragement. If we could be of any assistance or help, we'd be delighted to do that. The gospel plan of salvation provides the one and only means by which things like this can be forgiven. And isn't it true that if we're going to stand in judgment and give account for the language we've spoken, if it's been wrong, it must be forgiven or we have no hope. If you need things forgiven today, believe in Jesus with all of your heart. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. If we could be of assistance, again, we would be happy to do it. But if you have become a Christian... But perhaps in days or months or even years past, your speech, your language has not been reflective of what the Lord would wish. You need to make those appropriate changes. And even as we've discussed today, removing these kinds of words and putting in place the more happy and positive ones, those that minister grace to the hearers, we'd be happy to pray to God on your behalf. As you confess and repent of those things, He'll forgive them. This very day, if we could be of assistance to anybody, we'd urge you and invite you to come and do so at once while together we stand and while we sing.